Take your Bibles and turn with me, please, to Revelation chapter 18. And in just a moment, we'll look in verse 1 and following. If my math is right, this is my 28th sermon in Revelation. We started on January the 5th, and nobody could even spell pandemic. But we have made it now to a very significant passage because in chapter 19, Jesus comes back. Amen? So he's already come in the rapture. We've walked through the great tribulation. And the great tribulation will end with the destruction of Babylon. Babylon, the evil world system led by Satan and Antichrist, has two dimensions. We talked about the false religion dimension last week, the harlot that is the false religion of the end of time. But then also there's another dimension to Babylon, the anti-Jesus, anti-God, anti-truth system of this world, and that is the commercial or the business or the financial component. And in a word, in one short sentence, what we're talking about is we're not supposed to love money or mammon. When we make money an idol, that's what's bad. Now, money in and of itself, as we'll see momentarily, is not bad. If God has blessed you with money and you have uh, either inherited it or you have received it from working hard and all of that, there's nothing wrong with having money. It's the love of money that you have to watch out for. And I'll talk to you about the differences in that. Babylon is going to provide its own religion in the Great Tribulation. That's what we discussed last week in chapter 17. And Babylonian religion in the Great Tribulation will be the ultimate false doctrine, false religion. It will celebrate Satan himself and it will honor Satan's Messiah, the Antichrist, also known as the beast in the book of Revelation. And its biggest cheerleader, the biggest cheerleader of Babylonian false religion will be the false prophet who magnifies both the Antichrist and Satan, causing everyone to worship him. But this week we're going to look at the financial component of Babylon. The Antichrist is going to take over the finances of the world by taking down the finances of the evil world system of Babylon. We'll talk about that, that toward the end of the sermon. Antichrist is going to trick him, deceive the Babylonian worldly financial system, and then he's going to turn on it and he's going to cause a one world economy and he's going to destroy Babylonian selfishness and their financial system that is evil. Those who refuse to take the mark of the beast, as we've already talked about, will suffer by being killed. The government officials will hunt them down and kill them. But in order for that to happen, in order for them to establish the mark of the beast, there's got to be this Babylonian place of worshiping, but also a place of economy so that the devil through the Antichrist can come in. Now listen, he wants to run everything politically. He wants to run everything religiously. And he wants to run everything economically. He wants a one world government 
and the last three and a half years of the tribulation, it will all be under the Antichrist. That will be the darkest time of this earth. It will be the worst time of the great tribulation. And at the end of that, God's going to wipe it all out. Look at uh, chapter, Revelation chapter 18, beginning at verse 1. Notice, first of all, God's disdain for worldly mammon. And before I go into that, I just want to say again, money is not the problem. It's the love of money. Don't ever say money is the root of all evil. It is not. The Bible does not say that. The Bible says that the love of money is the root of all evil. You can do good things with money. You can go out of here today and help somebody that needs their rent to be paid and they've lost their job. That is a good thing you can do with money. Money is not either immoral or moral. It is amoral or amoral. It is just neutral. It's what you do with it. But if you ever love it, if you ever let it calcify your heart and grip your heart and you become idolatrous toward money and things and possessions, I want to say this to you, things are okay and money is okay. It is a good servant, but it is a terrible master. Don't let money master you. And I want to say this, you don't have to be wealthy for that to happen. You can be relatively poor and still love money. You can seek money instead of seeking first the kingdom of God. So it's not just a wealthy person's problem. It is all of our problem. If we're not careful, even Christians can get pulled into loving this world, the things of this world, and loving money. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 6.10, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and some people craving money have wandered away from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Likewise, Hebrews 13.5 says, make sure that your character, by the way, your character is who you really are on the inside, is free from the love of money, being content. Everybody say the word content. That's how you fight the love of money. Being content with what you already have, for God Himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. Verse 1, after these things I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illumined with His glory. That is a strong statement with some powerful words in the original. John the Apostle continues to have these revelations, these visions. He's a prisoner on the Roman island of Patmos out in the Mediterranean. He saw another angel, another of the same kind. The Greek word is alos. Heteros would be an angel of another kind. This angel was like the one he'd already seen in chapter 17, verse 1, that told him about the religious Babylon of false religion. And then the Bible says, the angel came down from heaven having great authority, exousia megas, mega authority, mega power. It's all coming from God. Not only was he a strong, authoritative voice from God, he was also glorious to behold. It says, the earth was illumined, illumined. Photizo, it's where you get the word photo. It means to light up, to enlighten, literally 
to reveal. He was revealing the what? The glory of God. Doxe, where you get the word doxology, the magnificent, the splendor, the radiance of Almighty God. And if you're not careful, you can see, read about these angels so much in the book of Revelation that you just pass by. Oh, they're glorious. Okay. Oh, they're wonderful. Okay. Oh, they're enlightening. Okay. No, stop there and realize these angels are reflecting the glory of God. Hey, let me stop right there. Don't you ever pray to an angel. That's blasphemous. Don't you ever worship an angel. Don't ever do that. They don't give forth the light. They reflect the light of God. They're like the moon reflecting the sun. But Jesus is the light. And they're just standing in His place. You know, I've been around Christians that have been with the Lord so much, I'm telling you, I could see them reflecting the glory of God. I didn't see just a bright light coming off, but it was a brightness in their spirit, a brightness. In, don't you want other people? You shouldn't have to. Listen, if you spend a lot of time with God, other people will be able to tell it. Amen? I mean, they're going to be able to, because you're going to radiate, you're going to reflect the glory of God. That's what this angel is doing. Don't ever miss that. And then in verse 2, and he cried out with a mighty voice. He didn't just reflect the glory of God. He spoke the message of God saying, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. He says it twice. It is emphatic. That is, it gives emphasis. And then it's going, that, that Babylon is going down. And as far as he's concerned, it's a done deal. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. Megas Babylon. It is going down. And notice the diabolical, literally diabolical, that is satanic influence within Babylon. She has become a dwelling place of demons and a prison of every unclean spirit. How many of you believe in unclean spirits or demons? Do you believe in those? You better. They're all over the Bible. We believe in angels and we believe in demons and these demons and it says, a prison of every unclean and hateful bird. These citizens that had adhered to the financial demands and ways of Babylon were demonized. They're full of demons and unclean spirits, and they're acting like animals. That is, they're animalistic. They are likened to a prison of every unclean and hateful bird. That's what, look at me, that is what sin does to you. It makes you act like an animal. Now, some of you say, well, I am an animal. That's what I learned in 10th grade biology. That is a lie. You are not an animal. God did not create you as an animal. You are not the highest form of animal. You're in a completely separate category beside animal. God created you when He created Adam and Eve, and He created them out of dust. He didn't create them out of evolution and billions of years of random mutation. I don't have enough faith to believe in that gobbledygook. I believe God created us in His image. I believe God created us. We are not animals, and we've been telling people, our children, so long that they are animals. They're acting like it. People are grown people grew up hearing all that atheistic evolution that they're animals, and now they're acting like it, and we wonder why. Because we indoctrinated them with it in our schools. God help us. 
as a rabbit I needed to chase. All right. Verse 3, for all the nations have drunk of the wine of the passion of her immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed acts of immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich by the wealth of her sensuality. It's not talking about there about sexual immorality. It's talking about idolatry, the love of money. And they used her like a harlot. That's why Babylon is constantly called a harlot. She is a religious harlot, and she is a financial harlot. They use her. They don't love her. They use her to gain more money. I heard another voice. This is God's voice now from heaven saying, come out of her, my people. Come out of Babylon. Don't you love this world? Don't you love this evil world system? God says that hates my son, hates my church, hates my people, hates my word, hates my ways. Don't you love this world? Don't you love and worship money and things? Don't you do that? You worship me. You seek first the kingdom of God, and I'll add to you whatever you need. Come out of her. Be ye separate, saith the Lord. Verse 5, for her sins have piled up as high as heaven. I'm taking note. God keeps the books. God knows what everybody is doing. He's keeping the books of Babylon. He said, I've piled up her sins as high as heaven. That's as high as you can get. And God has remembered her iniquities. You know, when you get saved, God forgets your iniquities. But when you live for the world, God remembers her iniquities. The day of judgment for Babylon has come. And the Bible says in verse 6, the angel prays, pay her back, O Lord, even as she has paid. Now watch, and give back to her double according to her deeds. And the cup which she has mixed, mix it twice as much for her. Why does she have to suffer twice as much? Why is God giving her double the punishment for her sins? It comes out of the Old Testament law. As soon as God gave Moses on Mount Sinai the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, two chapters to the right in Exodus 22, he said this. In Exodus 22, verse 4, if someone steals an ox or a donkey or a sheep and it's found in the thief's possession, then the thief must go to counseling and have his hand slapped, right? wrong. The thief must pay double the value of the stolen animal. Hey, look at me. If you go into a store and knock the window out and take groceries out of the store, you should have to pay back double what you stole. Why? Why? They owe it to us. Nobody owes you anything that you should steal from them. Nobody owes you that. Just thought I'd throw that in too. They had to pay back double. And God says, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to exact a commensurate punishment to fit the crime. Verse 7, to the degree that she glorified herself and lived sensuously, that's idolatrously, to the same degree give her torment and mourning. And she 
is going to cry out like a little spoiled brat. Look at verse 7. It goes on to say, for she says in her heart, I sit as a queen. I'm not a widow. I'll never see mourning. Oh, Babylon, so arrogant, so proud of her diamonds and her glory and her beauty. And she says, God's not going to do anything to me. I'll never lose those who follow me. I'll never lose my patrons. I'll never lose my clients. I'll never see mourning. I am a queen. And God says, you're going down. You're going down. Verse 8, for this reason, in one day, God, I want to tell you something. Sometimes it looks like God's taking little baby steps to pay somebody back. And sometimes it looks like he's going the other way. But I want to tell you something when it's the right time, God shows up. And if he, the reason God is slow to judge is he wants them to repent. He gives them time to repent, but he finally shows up. And if they have not repented and he's given them time, judgment comes. Listen to this. I walked all the way. I've got to come all the way back to my Bible. All right. For this reason, in one day, her plagues will come. Pestilence. Hello. Hello. Pestilence, plagues, something worse than even COVID, all right? Mourning and famine, she'll be burned up with fire for the Lord God who judges her is strong. A lot of people don't like that part of the Bible. They like, oh God, let me live however I want to and I'll just be forgiven. I'll just walk in your grace. Look, I'm all for grace, but I want to tell you something. If you live in sin and you don't repent, God is going to give you time to repent. But after a while, he's going to lower the boom and give you judgment. The God who is merciful is also the God who is judge. And you can't take that out of the Bible. It's right there in not only Revelation, but all over the Scriptures. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, no one. That includes you. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. And then he lays it down so plain anybody can figure out you can't serve God and money or mammon is the Greek word mammonos. Can't do it. You can't love God and love and worship money. You can't do it. It's an appropriate servant, but an appalling master. And whoever loves money is going to die a thousand deaths. If you love money, if that's what you really love, if that's what you live for, if that's what you think about all the time, it is a spiritual cancer. It is a malignancy in the heart and mind. And you will lust and selfishly crave for worldly things. And look at me, you'll never be satisfied. You'll never have enough. If you finally get what you thought you wanted, it won't be good enough. How many times over the last 40 years have I talked with somebody, pastor, I just need more money. I need more cash. Well, how much do you have? Well, and they tell me, I think, man, that's a lot of cash, but you need more. I need more land. Well, you own all these acres. Well, I need more. I need more furniture. Well, that show on TV about hoarders came by and kind of looked at your house. And 
I don't know that you need any. Well, well, man, okay, I'll get rid of that. I need some new furniture. Well, I need a new house. Well, I mean, the one you got's kind of nice. Well, I need a new one. I need a new car. I've got 18,000 miles on my car. You never know when it's going to break down. I need a new car. I need a new spouse. What I got's not doing right. He doesn't look like he did when we got married. I don't know of anybody that does, do you? By the way, next time you think that about your spouse, go take a look in the mirror. And then go look at your wedding pictures. And you will not believe what has happened to you. You don't need a new spouse. You don't need a new car. You don't need a new house. You don't need another job. You don't need more. You need to be thankful for what you've already got. That's what you need. And most of all, you need to be thankful that you've got Jesus. That's what you ought to really be thankful for right there. Now that's where you need to applaud right there. Jesus said in Luke 12, 15, beware. Beware of what, Lord? Be on your guard against every form of what? Say it out loud. Greed. For not even when one has an abundance does your life consist of your possessions. I've seen four babies born and I can assure you they were all mine and none of them came in with anything except themselves and I've seen a lot of people die and you know how they die the same way they came in they take nothing out just like they brought nothing in you'd better not love the stuff it's all about loving God and loving people. That's what you need to love. Don't love anything else. If it's not connected to the Lord and it's not connected to people, the love of money is the root of all evil. God disdains the love of money. He disdains loving worldly mammon. Secondly, look at mankind's desire for worldly mammon. Oh, we want it even though the Bible says don't participate in the idolatry of worshiping and loving mammon. Oh, people become so enamored with it, things, and they'll, they, they don't have time to read the Bible, but they'll take two hours to polish and wash their car. What's up with that? You need a clean soul more than you need a clean car. Just a thought. You say, how did you see me doing that? I didn't. Told on yourself, all right. Proverbs 23, 4 and 5, don't weary yourself to gain wealth. Cease from your consideration of it. When you set your eyes on it, that is, you set your eyes on mammon or wealth, it is gone. For 
wealth certainly makes itself wings like an eagle that flies toward the heavens. I love what the message says in the same text. Don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Restrain yourself. Riches disappear in the blink of an eye. I love this. Wealth sprouts wings and flies off into the wild blue yonder. Amen? Isn't that good? Look at verse 9. We'll see man's selfish attraction to the idolatrous allurement of mammon. Look at verse 9. The kings of the earth who committed acts of immorality and lived sensuously with her will weep and lament over her when they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance because of the fear of her torment, saying, Woe, woe, the great city Babylon, the strong city, for in one hour your judgment has come. Do you remember 9-11-2001? a group of radical Muslim terrorists, and that's exactly what they were, who viewed in their own minds the Twin Towers in New York City as the epitome of idolatrous worldly materialism struck the World Trade Center buildings in a suicide mission. And that day, they, those radical Muslims attacked America on three levels. Financial level, Twin Towers. Military level, Pentagon. And they tried to attack us on the political level, the White House and the Capitol buildings. But those planes crashed earlier. I remember seeing the picture of the burning Twin Towers. And somebody posted Revelation 18, 9, and 10. He put that caption under it. The person who posted that picture was saying, could it be that God, even in this tragedy, even in this horrible loss of life of 3,000 people, even more people killed this day on 9-11 than there were on December the 7th, 1941 in Pearl Harbor. Could it be that God is saying, America Even though these are radical Muslims doing this, could it be that God was saying, I'm saying to you, America, you better wake up. You love mammon more than you love me. You love things more than you love me. Whether that's the case or not, during the great tribulation, Babylon, this evil world system of finances, is going down. It's going down. Verse 11, and the merchants of the earth weep. They mourn over her. Why? Because they love her? No, because no one buys their cargoes anymore. They use her like a harlot. They don't care about her. They just care what they can get from her. They're mad. They're upset. Not because she's burning, but because they've lost their potential for property. Prosperity. No one buys their cargoes anymore. Cargoes of what? Gold, silver, precious stones, pearls, fine linen, purple, silk, scarlet, every kind of citron wood, every article of ivory, every article made with very costly wood, bronze, iron, marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, perfume, frankincense, wine, olive oil, fine flour, wheat, 
cattle, sheep, cargoes of horses, chariots, uh uh-oh, slaves, and human lives. I'm going to say this to you. Look at me. Look. When money and mammon grab your heart, you will treat people terribly. When you love money, you use people. When you love people, you use money. Money is not to be loved. Money is to be used in the right way. But when you love money, you start using people and they become your slaves. You view them as just somebody that can do something for you. And when they can't do anything for you anymore, even if you made your wedding vows to them, you're out of here. What a terrible way to live. What an ungodly way to live. And by the way, you want to read all this stuff in the Old Testament? The reason prophecy in the New Testament is connected to books like Ezekiel and Daniel and Isaiah is because, for instance, everything you just read there, all those different things that were for sale, every one of them and more is mentioned. I read it this week in Ezekiel 27. That's how he was getting that information through God, through the Scriptures. Verse 14, the fruit you long for has gone from you. All things that were luxurious and splendid have passed away from you. Men no longer find them. The merchants of these things who became rich from her will stand at a distance. Why? I want to say this to you. When you love somebody, you don't care if they're in a burning building. Let me tell you something. If my child was in a burning building, I'd go in the building after my child. Whether I die or not, I'm not trying to sound magnanimous. You do the same thing. When you love somebody, you don't stay away from them when they're suffering. You come to them. When I was at the ER the other night and Jason has died, you know where Candace was? She was right by his side stroking his hair. When you love somebody, even if it's hard, you stay with them. But they're staying away from them. They don't love her. They don't love Babylon. They're using her. She's just a harlot to them. God help us. The merchants of these things who became rich from her will stand at a distance, verse 15, because of the fear of her torment, weeping and mourning, saying, Woe, woe, the great city. She who was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, for in one hour such great wealth has been laid to waste. They were worried about the wealth leaving. They weren't concerned about her. And notice how animated they became in verse 17 in the middle of the verse. Every shipmaster, every passenger, every sailor, as many as make their living by the sea, stood at a distance. They're not going to get near her. They don't love her. They just want to use her. But they, oh, they're terrified though. Uh, they were crying out as they saw the smoke of her burning saying, what city is like the great city? They threw dust on their heads. They were crying out, weeping and mourning saying, whoa, whoa, the great city in which all who had ships at sea became rich by her wealth. For in one hour she's been laid to waste. And I'll say this to you, just because you're a Christian, doesn't mean the devil can't suck you in and get you to where you love mammon. 
And I want to say this again, if I hadn't already said it, this is my third time to preach this sermon. You know, by the time I get to this service, I don't know what I've said and what I hadn't, all right? So if I repeat myself, just take it as God giving you emphasis, all right? You don't have to be wealthy for this to apply to you. You can yearn for money and be poor. I want to say this to you. Anybody in this room, including me, can be guilty of loving manna or loving money. And I'm telling you, God tells us to fight it tooth and toe. We, we cannot love God. Jesus said, you can't have two masters. You can't love me and love mammon. You can't do it. You can't. I trust Jesus on that. There's a story of a Syrian warrior in the Old Testament named Naaman. He was, boy, he was a fighting machine. And his armies from Syria often defeated the armies of Israel. One day he was talking to the king. There was a problem that Naaman had. He had leprosy. And he was just talking about it. And this little girl who was a slave, and she had come from Israel. She said, I wish you, my master, could just go down to Israel. There's a prophet down there. His name is Elisha. And he could take care of your leprosy. And so the king of Syria petitioned the king of Israel and said, uh, I understand you've got somebody that can heal my main man, Naaman here, my warrior. And when he went, Naaman took all these riches, loaded up. He was going to pay the preacher, you know. Got down there and king of Israel said, I can't. He said, this guy's crazy. I can't do anything about this. I, I can't make sure that this man, this warrior is going to be healed. Well, Elisha heard about it. He said, tell the king not to worry. Just send, send Naaman over to my house. And Naaman came to his house, and I love what happened. Elisha didn't even go to the door. He sent one of his underlings, one of his preacher boys, if you will, and he opened the door and he said, uh, the prophet says to you, Naaman, all you need to do is go down to the Jordan River and immerse yourself seven times and you'll come up with no leprosy. Shut the door and that was it. And this guy had come all the way from Syria. He had all this stuff out there. Elisha never looked at it. Elisha didn't even talk to him. This little guy just opened the door and shuts the door. And Naaman throws a fit. How many of you know what I'm talking about when I say throw a fit, all right? Don't act so holy, all right? I would ask you how many of you have thrown a fit within the last 24 hours. But anyway, we won't get into that. So he throws a fit and he says, I wanted this man to come out and pray over me and wave his arms over me and speak over me and I wanted to be healed and I wanted to be a big deal. And finally his servant said, look, why don't you just chill? That's the Greek word there, chill. If he had asked you to do something hard, you would have done it. He just asked you to go down to the Jordan River. I've been in that river 15 times. It is muddy. It's a little creek. And a lot of places, it's not from, far from here to the front row there. 
Don't think about the mighty Mississippi. Think about a creek that runs through your backyard. Maybe a little bit bigger. And it's dirty and it's muddy. And he says, the rivers where I come from in Syria are better than the rivers down here. And they said, just go, be quiet and go down there and do what he said. So he goes down. And and this part is not graphically uh, described in the Bible, but I like to read the Bible with a holy imagination. I hope it's holy anyway. And so I can just see him baptizing himself once, nothing, twice, three, four, five, six. Still got it. Seven. And he comes up, that muddy water rolling off his face, and the leprosy is gone. It's gone. You think, you think, like we sat there, and all God's people said, amen. I'm just telling you, it was gone. Why did God do it that way? I don't know. Doesn't matter. He goes back. Here's the point of the story. He goes back. He goes to Elisha's house. This time, Elisha comes out. He falls at his feet. Elijah picks him up. Don't ever let anybody worship you. <laughs> picks him up. He said, I want to give you this gift of all these gifts I brought it for you. He said, here's, here's, here's my point. Elisha looked at him and said, I don't want it. Thank you. That's okay. Thank you. I don't want that. Elisha knew that even he was susceptible to the idol of mammon. And he was not going to let anything. The reason he had such power with God is his heart was not on the things of this world. His heart was in the kingdom of God. But he had a servant named Gehazi. And when he found out what his master had done, and when he found out that Naaman was always, already going back to Syria, he ran after him, told a lie, and he said, oh, now my master wants it. And he said, just give it to me, and I'll take it to him. And so Naaman gave him everything he was going to give Elisha, and Nahum, and uh, what's the guy's name? Gehazi. I got so many names going on in my mind, I can't think. Gehazi comes back with all that stuff, hides it over in a little secret place. I mean, it's massive riches and everything. And all of a sudden, he's rich. He thinks, and he walks in to the presence of Elisha. And Elisha said, uh, Gehazi, where you been? He said, uh, nowhere. Every parent in here who's got a teenager has heard that. Amen. I am anywhere. I'm not knocking on teenagers. I was one. That's why I know, all right? He said, did my heart not go with you when you chased after the man and when he gave you all of that? And he said, I want to tell you something. You got all his riches, but now you're going to get his leprosy. His leprosy will never depart from you or from your family for the rest of your lives. And immediately the leprosy came on him. Do you know why? Because Gehazi chose manna over the kingdom of God. It's not wrong to have money. It's not wrong to work hard and get a paycheck, but it is wrong to worship it and to chase after it. If you want to chase after anything, chase after the kingdom of God. Oh, I could say more, but I don't have time. Jesus said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. 
all mankind's desire and lust for mammon. Well, we've seen God's disdain for worldly mammon, mankind's desire for worldly mammon. And one last thing, and I'll just read it to you very quickly, the last five verses, God's decree against worldly mammon. What's God going to do to mammon? What's God going to do with worldly things? He says in verse 20, rejoice over her, O heaven, you saints and apostles and prophets, because God has pronounced judgment for you against her. Do you remember back earlier in Revelation when the saints were praying, God, the, the slaughtered saints, the ones who had been killed and martyred in the uh, great tribulation, how long, Lord, are you not going to punish them? It looks like sometimes God is taking forever to punish the wicked, but God says, now's the time. Rejoice over her. I have pronounced judgment over her. The Bible says in Romans 12, 19, never, Christian, never take your own revenge beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. It is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. If somebody has wronged you, look at me. Do you know what you really ought to do? You really ought to feel sorry for them. You really ought to feel sorry for them. If somebody has wronged you, you really, if you're a Christian, you really ought to feel sorry for them and say, Lord, I know what's going to happen to them. You're going to take care of them. God is going to fight for you while you keep silent. Then a strong angel took up a stone like a great millstone, threw it into the sea, saying, so will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will not be found any longer. And the sound of the harpist, verse 22, and musicians and flute players and trumpeters will not be heard anymore and any longer. No more music across the great tribulation during the wor- in the world during the great tribulation. No craftsman no, of any craft will find will be found in you any longer. The sound of a mill will not be heard in you any longer. All the factories are going to be shut down. No more mill work, no more anything. The light of a lamp will not shine in you any longer. There won't be enough oil to light up one lamp when God does this. And the voice of the bridegroom and the bride will not be heard in you any longer. No more marriages, no more wedding ceremonies, none of that stuff. For your merchants were the great men of the earth, because of all the nations were deceived by your sorcery, and in her was found the blood of the prophets and of the saints and all of those who have been slain on the earth. Here's what's going to happen. Look at me, and I'll, I'll explain it to you real quick. Babylonian financial kingdom is going to rise after the rapture, and we're all gone. And you've got to have the mark of the beast now to be involved in buying anything. But after a while, the Antichrist himself, who has used Babylon to pull in worldly buyers, is going to turn on Babylon and take her down, religiously with her false religion and also with her false economy. And he's going to demand everybody give him the money through the mark of the beast. He's going to control finances. He's going to control religion. He's going to have, take over the temple that's been, be, been rebuilt by the Jews in Jerusalem. And he's going to commit the abomination of desolation that Daniel and Jesus talked about. 
And he's going to make sure that everybody worships him or they die. And they can only operate in his financial system, the mark of the beast, or they will die. And he will be a one-world government. Nobody will help him. He's going to be worshipped in religion. He's going to rule as the political leader. And he's going to be the primary financier of the whole world. He's going to be the king on earth under the devil for three and a half years. But praise God, the next time I preach in Revelation, I'm going to tell you that Jesus is going to come back and Jesus is going to take him down. Amen? Let's give God praise for that. Amen. I was doing a little math this week on the gross national debt of America. Do you know how much we owe $23.7 $23.7 trillion at the end of March 2020. Is no big deal? Oh, big deal. Very big deal. A trillion is a one followed by 12 zeros. It's a million million. It's a hundred, it's a thousand times one billion. If we stop borrowing money as Americans, which we, we're not going to do it, where do you think all this stimulus money, do you think we have that money? We're borrowing that against ourselves. Where do you think all the stuff, we buy all this stuff all the time, government's spending money all the time, Republicans and Democrats. If we stop borrowing, which I doubt we will, and we paid a billion dollars every day on the principle of that debt. And they stopped charging interest on the rest of it. There's no way that's going to happen. Do you know how long it would take us to pay back what we owe? 65 years. If we paid off a billion on the principle every day with no further interest. 65 years. I'm talking about 2085. Don't you see how vulnerable we are as a nation? Don't you see that the stock market is not as secure? Hey, Social Security is not social and it's not secure. (laughs) Our economy could go down at any moment and we could come into the Babylonian system that's going to be taken over by Antichrist. The more you read the Bible, the more it's like reading today's newspaper. And I just want to say this to you. I'm not trying to scare you, and I'm not trying to be all in the know. I just want to say this to you. The only way people are going to survive this is if they know Jesus Christ. Do you love Jesus? I asked you that earlier. Do you love Jesus? Jesus. 